So we can keep talking. This is always the pre-pod bit, isn't it? Yeah, you can do a wee bit. Uh, I like the wee pre-prod. Pre-prod. This is a bit nerve-wracking, but we'll manage it. We'll get it done. Let's fucking kick it off. Hello, and welcome to the Good Roundup. Good is a brand consultancy, and we're based in London and Glasgow, and every month we send out a cheeky wee email with various bits and pieces that we've been thinking about over the past month. This podcast digs a little deeper into each of the things that we talk about. My, it's almost the director's commentary, if you will. My name's Stuart Steele, I'm the strategy director here at Good, and I am joined by Mr Christopher Lumsden, Good's founding partner. Oh, how very grand. <laughs> you are you're a very grand chap. Very it all sounds very professional. Well, no, it is. It's a whole it's new podcast set up and it's our first one and it's, who knows if we're going to get it right or we're going to get I it wrong. I wonder if there will be a second. <laughs> of course there will. Of course. Of course there will. We send out an email every month and it's got three things in it. And uh, last month we sent out one and the first thing that we talked about was reporting. Reporting. Mm. This was your piece, Joe. Yes, yeah. And... So when I'm talking about reporting... Are you going to tell us why do we like reporting? Yeah, and, and it's interesting. Reporting is the end of the entire process. And reporting, but it's not about looking at the past, it's looking about the future. And the work that we've been doing with reporting recently has been about the fact that it's, it's one of these things that when you've done all the work and put it out there and everybody's got it signed off and finally the media plan and you've done all the ads and you're putting it out and everybody's kind of listened to it and then you've actually got to report on how it has performed because you're so used to just getting it out of the way it becomes a bit more tricky to understand how the reporting structure should work and is this reporting all digital it can be anything really because it ultimately what it should be doing is tying back to the objectives that you set for the campaign in sure. the first place but the, but it should be anything, but because of the nature of where we are in the world, there is, seems to be more digital reporting. And the great thing about data when it comes to the digital reporting is that you can get tons of it. And the worst thing about data in the age of digital reporting is that you can get tons of it. And we've seen some reports that have come out that are just basically 15 PowerPoint slides of cut and paste Google Analytics sheets. And that's just not very good for anybody, and it's not very exciting. And but if the numbers are big, people get excited. Oh, who doesn't love a big number? So mm. the big number. So, and the kind of thing is with that is it's actually about trying to go back to business goals and smart objectives, and trying to work out well when we're talking about business goals, has the campaign achieved those business goals, and is the reporting telling you not just what's happened because that's kind of by the by now, but. A, are you hitting those goals? And B, what are you going to do to improve the goals the next time that you go, uh, you know, the next week of the campaign? There is the kind of thing where there's an adage that 60% of your media budget should be spent on adjusting the campaign to make sure you're optimizing it. So anytime you're looking at reporting, what you're really looking for is not just what happened, but it's, it's an indicator of what you should do next to make the campaign more effective in the future. And that kind of framework is kind of, you know, what are the KPIs you set themselves and what should you be doing next month to kind of make it better? And some of these KPIs, like, going, right, we're going to make sure the click-through rate is less than $5. $5. Yeah, so these KPIs can be quite, um, not, not generic, but they don't have to be driven specifically by numbers, do they? 
they can be aspirational, can they? Yeah, I mean, they should be. I mean, I mean, it's something you've got because you're not going to hit it every month. You're going to try and make work out, and you should be trying to get these campaign numbers down all the time. And the reporting framework should be such that it works for different layers. So we, I've been on calls with clients who are doing the reporting back and the challenge the challenge is with the reporting is that you you just sit there and go and uh we got 25 <laughs> clicks through the, that and we got this and this and it's like going this is boring and it doesn't tell me anything when actually what it should be doing is the campaign that relates to this has performed this well it has delivered 500 leads each lead is costing six dollars and each visitor is costing two dollars that is above or below our target of this x y and z and then you can go then there's three things and it's avanash kuzak's i love avanash i'm an avanash fan but avanash kuzak says don't do the data puke don't just kind of Mm. put out all the numbers because you just get blind to them Mm. try and find three things what is concerning about the campaign that you've just done what do you what are you going to do to rectify that and what is the outcome that you get at the end well of i was going to say outcomes is something you always talk about oh. right? outcomes over activity oh you're not wrong there because the, what you've described so far is there's a lot of descriptions or, or, or a lot of data about activity over outcome yeah right? and that's the, i mean my favorite one you might have heard me moan about this a couple of times Maybe. is the, the, <laughs> the report where it had a report of best performing Facebook ad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a good one. Yeah. Apparently, and it was 50%. 50% click through rate, which everybody's, ooh, and then you can actually kind of see that it was only shown twice. Mm. So I, I, it's accurate, but it's pointless. The curse of percentages. Exactly. And that, that's a very good point. Like, don't hide behind percentages, and that's another thing. So the reporting is kind of, I call it metric medi- mediocrity, you know, because the metrics don't really mean anything. It's about tying it to KPIs. And just trying to make sure that you're understanding how things could be improved, how things, what you're going to do about it, put some smart objectives around it, and then understand the impact. And just don't send the CMO of your organization a 15-slide PowerPoint mm. of, uh, of Google Analytics stuff. Because yeah, different people need different stuff. Yeah. All the CMO generally once is big green arrows everything's going up it's everyone likes green arrows everybody loves a green arrow and then the other kind of side of it is just making sure that it's you know but other people will need the detail so when you're actually talking to your media agency or whatever you might want that detail but whatever you do don't understand who you're talking to and send the reporting out because it's vital because digital has kind of got the the feel of being the the nirvana of marketing but it's got a lot of data right behind it and it just feels if you don't actually if you don't show actual progress then you're not going to the marketing function within the organization is being seen as an expense and if you can make your report prove that you're actually generating income for the business you're only going to get more budget you're only going to people are going to spend money when Mm. money is being made and that's what your report is is either trying to show or demonstrating how you're going to get back on that path if mm-hmm. whatever you've had a bad month. So, if you, what would your advice be if you're if you're reading your article or listening to this and it's and it's difficult because it is as you know when you're close to it. What are, you talked earlier on about keeping it simple. What well, what would your advice be? Yeah, you need to know what you're measuring. That's the first thing. You can't go into a report going, I don't know what I'm going to measure because that's where the data puke comes. Mm. And so there's been a couple of times we've worked with media agencies. They go, well, we don't know what we're measuring, so we're just giving measuring you everything. Measuring everything, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of going, well, that, and that's great. 
Yeah. So you, the first thing is understand what your what the objective of the campaign is, which sounds pretty straightforward, but it's amazing how many times it's sure. there. And then secondly, everything should then flow from that because from there then you can kind of go, well, if it's not, we, we you know, the objective of the campaign is where you expect to get 10,000 leads, fine. How much do, how much of each of these leads cost? Mm-hmm. Right, we're expecting each lead to be $5, which means you're spending, here's where my math comes in, $50,000. So, you know, and it's just going to be, so it's all $5. Ideally, you want to get less than mm-hmm. $5. So you might say, well, we're, we're going to push it and we want $4. Mm-hmm. And keep measuring and just trying to improve on those numbers and just keep focusing. And don't go crazy on the numbers. Just pick one or two. Start. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then build up. And then look at once you've got there, how do you improve the campaign? Mm-hmm. What's, what does improvement look like and build up from there? And even if it's on one page, a one-page summation of how your campaign's done as a report without banks and banks of tables and tables of numbers is much more informative and intuitive than than the horrible option of a million terrible, horrible slides. I hate that. Nobody likes those, especially when the, there are the slides. Well, you can do them in fewer slides, but gen- then what happens is the point size gets smaller and smaller. <sighs> And you get more and more content. Well, more and more on one slide. See, that's interesting because I've heard, because we've seen those. That's when it lives in a drawer. Yeah. And we've seen those. And my, my, my understanding of why those slide decks happen, I've, I've been told, is that uh, people at the top don't have a lot of time. Yeah. So they've been told, which I think is hilarious. So what you, what you do is, right, make sure no more than 10 slides. Uh-huh. But then what you do is you just put 10,000 words on per slide. The entire work, works of Shakespeare on 10 slides. But I've done it. It's only 10 slides, big man. <laughs> yeah, nobody's no, reading it. Nobody's reading it. No, and so you're there. And then you're surprised that you haven't got a promotion. Hmm. Sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. That's another topic we'll get to oh, later. I, so... That is that was my reporting thing. I, it's part of a series of digital th- services that we offer, one of which is reporting, and it's something I'm quite passionate about, and that was another thing. But the other thing that you put up, Chris, your article Ooh. last week was brand architecture. And for about those, brand architecture, yeah. And for those that are maybe a little unclear on what... Because brand is one of those words that means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, a lot of things. A lot mm. of people would be interesting. What is your? You're going to ask me what brand architecture what is oh. before we get into your article. What is brand architecture? That's a great question. <laughs> so I think, well, in it, at its simplest, it's a it's a system, I suppose, that allows brands, products, services. You know, that allows businesses to organise their brands, products, and services in a way that makes it easy for people to relate or find the, the, the brand product or service they want from that organization. And a good system allows people to just very easily find the thing they want, either from a menu or, or online or whatever, uh, really, really simply without any noise or confusion. Does that Yeah, but a good example, simple? yeah, because the one, when we're talking around clients, the example we show is cars. Yeah, so, so there, yeah, well, I suppose um, BMW is always one we've pointed out as a really, really clear, simple corporate system. All the equities in the main brand, which has actually just evolved. You sent something mm-hmm. the other day. There's a lot of debate about that, as there always is when brands change. But generally, they've built all of the equity and meaning into the badge BMW, and their products are just alphanumeric, 320, 350, whatever they are, all the way through, and... It's really simple. There are there are other options. You mm-hmm. know, Ford do it the other way. They give all of their products names, and if, you know they try and build equity into each of these names, whether it's a Fiesta or a Mondeo or whatever it is. You know, 
different systems. And your article was about diligence. Yeah, and how not, and especially, and we've seen this in a couple of examples recently, when a company buys a company, mm-hmm. and what do they do? Well, they do all the important stuff first, like, you know, the diligence around numbers and values and rationalizing plants and staff and stuff like that. That's all in the headlines, which is great. I think the thing that is overlooked or naturally just comes further down the line is how do we bring the portfolios together or how do we bring brands or products that do similar things together? And I think in the you know in the recent past we've seen two or three organizations, big organizations, struggle with that a little bit and, and probably realize that they've come to it a bit too late and and perhaps not been on the front foot with it. So it was just a, a I wrote a piece about you know, don't forget to do the diligence on how you bring these brands or portfolios together because it's never too early to start thinking about it. And I think that if it is left too late, sometimes there's a tendency to just bring two bad, bring them together and create some sort of hybrid mark and it's a bit of a band-aid and it doesn't really work in the long term. And so this would allow organizations to help avoid that sense of friction, if you like. Because I think the surprising thing when I kind of started working here back in when I was Ooh. six, mm-hmm. 16 or something, is when, when you kind of look back on it, what's surprising is that on paper, it's, it in theory seems to be quite a, a simple process. You've got two brands and then you can work it out. But the, the challenge isn't necessarily in the graphic articulation or the new logo or whatever it is, but it's more stakeholders and internal. Yeah, it's emotion. It's people and it's it's people that have spent years and years and hundreds and millions of dollars <laughs> building equity or meaning into brands, products, and then being told that they're going to change. That's hard. Change is hard. And, you know, we, we, you know I remember one of the first projects we did with a big, a big company who had bought and bought and bought um, lots of organizations and hadn't done anything with the, the, the portfolios. And I, I reached a point, I went to a sales conference and they were unable to represent themselves internally. They didn't know the sales guys couldn't manage to talk about their brands and products. So at that point, you realize that if they can't do it, the customers have got no chance. So, And it is a particular B2B issue, I think, that, that, that a lot of the work we do seems to be to take a comb through that stuff or, or rationalize the sub-brands, in inverted commas, because they're just not needed. You know, Generally, in a B2B sense, there's a smaller customer base. And generally, rule of thumb is that the equity or you know, the recognition is all in the main brand, like the BMW example. And the rest of the stuff should just be descriptive or alphanumeric. It's much, much easier and much cheaper to manage and grow that in the long term. So what are your hints and tips? The things things I said, yeah, well, I think that five top tips, might not be five top tips anymore, but they're all top tips. tips. So the first one was about change, change being a positive thing. A lot of one of the big things were, were there's resistance about the change. As I said, people are very emotionally engaged to stuff. People think that that the customer base won't, won't be able to survive the change, that it's so important that they're different. And nothing, of course, could be further from the truth. People are, are smart and able to discern difference and, 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 and understand that Sometimes brands change, and uh, if you manage it on the front foot, it can be a positive marketing uh, effect and a positive thing for the brand. So, you know, people can survive lots of change. You know, it's the old Snickers marathon thing. If these guys at FMCG level can do it, anyone can do it. So, change is a, not necessarily a thing to be feared, was number one. 
Uh, second one was always about the consultation. Unless you talk to the right people internally and they're all on the bus facing the right way and they're all up for it, you've got trouble. may not see it right away, but it'll be further down the line. So you need to talk to everybody, make them feel like they're, they've been consulted and they have a say in what's going on from you know the senior management team through to you know the, the contact staff or call centre staff or whatever it is. Get, take soundings and speak to, to people and also talk to customers, get a feeling of what that means, the brand means. And that might be you need to commission some research, whatever it is, but talk to lots of people so that it doesn't come back to bite you in the bum. Mm. That was two, three years. You, you're going to have to have, there is going to be some pain. We're talking about, you know, cutting things earlier, um, you know, sacrifice. Sometimes hard pruning is going to be better for the future. And, 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 and I think that the people that are involved with the clients, I'd need to, understand and know that at the beginning of the process that the chances are we're not going to be able to play, not going to be able to please everybody all of the time so it may be that names get cut or merged or whatever it is so expect some pain is a thing but it will be better for the business in the long term number four was the point we made about my mother brand actually and the point i made about the b2b you know customers being relatively small uh, and you know this a thing that we've seen quite frequently is that there's a, uh, you know, the, the, the runaway system of people creating sub-brands and sub-identities because it's quite, it's quite good fun. Uh, and you get to have a little logo and another name and people like coming up with names and then you realise we've got 50 names and how, what do any of them mean? And there's no convention around how these names are created and then therefore it's difficult back to the navigation and you know your architecture system's shot. So... Generally, our job is to repatriate all of that stuff into the mother brand and just keep it clean. The mother brand tends to be where the value is, so never stray too far from there. And then the last one is, fairly obviously, if you're going to change stuff and you're creating new names or changing names, get legal advice early. You don't want to get caught out. And and, and specifically, I'd say, or, or the, the build I'd add to that is it's not just general sort of legal counsel, it's specific patent attorney advice. We've seen a couple of jobs where a business has felt that they're in the right and they're okay and then only to be found later further down, much further down the line when there's much more work being done that there may be a problem with registering X, Y or Z. So I think it's really important that that's done and taken on board early. So... They're kind of the five things around architecture. It's a big topic. Mm, it's something that we see again and again. Yeah. And actually, the guy that we like and admire, Mr. Mark Ritson, he talks about this quite a lot, mm. saying that he has seen many of the challenges he's seen in his professional career. He can track back up to something as mundane as, why do the logos not fit properly on the business card? What, what's the, why, you know, Or how do I find <laughs> this on a website or whatever yeah. it is? And it is the the... The challenges manifest themselves in some fairly odd places, mm. but it's important to just follow that thread and then deal with a problem at source. And it, it can be difficult. It needs a bit of leadership and bravery. You know, it's tough. And it's easy for us to sit on the outside and, and say, kill that brand. But is that not also part of the strength? Well, you've got to be objective. Yeah, yeah. and that's why I think many clients will hire us. Because I think, you know, in ter- for, for them, it's easier to hear that advice from people like us rather than maybe their marketing department, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. And so I was the, I was the filler in the sandwich. Oh, you, you don't are, say that. You man. are don't, the other bit is. of bread. 
Oh, I'm trying to read me. I'm in there. But this, this is the Bob Hoskins topic. Yeah, yeah, big beautiful so Bob. Why, why, what prompted this? I mean, you wrote a piece about how to get help us help, to help you. Oh, help us to help how, you. Getting the you best from your agency. Plans. What do you mean? What, what was this all about? You get sent stuff and emails and have a look at this and have a look at that. And it was a thing from uh, Digiday. 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 Uh, links in the show notes. Um, and basically, it was, it was talking about how planning function in agencies is getting squeezed tighter and tighter and tighter because clients under are under more and more stress to understand more and more channels and the best way to do it. So what's happening is the, the brief comes in, but the brief is, can we do this? And actually, agencies are now spending more time writing the brief mm. than actually solving the brief. And how important is the brief? Well, that is a cracker. Or is that a whole That's other a podcast? That's a cracker. Probably a whole other I, No, I mean, I think... I, I, I mean, it's a good... I think it's it's got to be important, if nothing else, because you can... What you can do is you say, sometimes the brief feels like, and I'm suggesting no client of ours is like this, but of course, but not. Of course not. But I mean, I've seen clients, I've seen it in the past where what it is is like we need an asset and that's the brief. But that, yeah. you know, we need a, an asset that says this, and that's what they're saying. You're kind of going, why do you need that asset? And, and half been of the work's been done. Yeah, yeah. Half the work's been done. Whereas you kind of then sit and go, the brief is important because it gives you it gives you context in a way that's formalised that you can share within the agency. Because sure. a good brief you can share with the planning function, which client services, the client services, the and the design team, and we're all working off the same page. What you're not getting is the whispers of what everything is. Yeah. Okay, and sorry, I push you. Off no, no, there. no. We no, could no. probably do that in another. No, another no, but I think it's good because it does. It ties in very well with this. So what we tend to get because it's more complicated now. In, in theory, the landscape's more. Where do you go? Is it on the instas? Do you do a bit of this? Do you do a bit of socials? Do you do this? Where mm. where does it go? And the clients, are, good marketeers are generally generalists because they know what works, and because there's so much generalization out there now, it's kind of going. Well, what are we going to do? And so we then end up, the theory being, and it's a good article, says, well, actually, planning is now about trying to decipher what the client wants rather than solving what the client needs, mm -hmm. which is interesting. So I, I read that and went, aye, okay, rinky-dink, tickety-boo, welcome to 2020. And then the thing that came in, uh, the thing that came in about a day later was a, a, a video from 1993, I think it was, of a pitch by AMV for the, if you're in the UK, the quite legendary and iconic BT It's Good to Talk campaign. Mm. The reason they, they recorded this pitch was that they, they did the, the pitch originally, but some of the key stakeholders within BT couldn't make the pitch, so they asked uh, AMV to record it, and it was David Abbott, who's the A of AMV, uh, was then kind of, uh, was doing the pitch to camera, and it's it's a masterclass of assuredness mm, and confidence mm -hmm. and you know he's not phased by it at all he's brilliant but the interesting thing is is the difference between what was given to bt to amv as as part of the process and how and and the response to it and the quality of the work that came out of it do you mean what was given do you mean how they were briefed and, yeah. and supporting yeah. what research or yeah background whole, yeah i mean yeah. the I think, you know, you uh, the pitch was basically 
so the first kind of thing to help us help you is like what BT did to, to AMV, which is like these are the these are the goals that we're going for. Mm. So to encourage each person in the core market to make an extra twenty one calls or spend an additional seventy five minutes on the phone across the whole year. Yeah, that's really fantastic. specific. Yeah. You go, okay, that's great. And then the other thing with that is kind of support and legitimize phone usage amongst women who do not enjoy daily face to face contact with their peers. And you kind of go, there's stuff in that. And as part of the planning role, you kind of go, right, that's meaty and that's good. And it's substantial. And supposedly what happened, you know, and the second point of, of what I was saying, which is really just about how you can help us is tell us everything. And BT swamped yeah. AMV with data and insights and research, research and consumer research, research yeah, yeah, the whole thing. And that's fantastic. Just and, and what's really good, and what from what I could tell, it was all pretty unfiltered what they got. But what was really good is that that gives not only the the ammunition to the gun that you're making, but the, you know for for what the campaign's going to be. But it also allows you to challenge the original brief. So what what you're kind of saying is to from a client perspective is give us stuff that even the more background the better yeah. because there are inquisitive curious minds at the agency that will read all of this stuff and yeah. perhaps take a slightly different view or come up with something and and if you, if you do i mean some of the best things is you can't not learn if you come up with something and you go that's crazy you know if you're not you go back to the client and go why wouldn't you do this because the great thing about being in an agency is you can be intelligently naive you can ask the stupid questions Plenty of stupid questions in this age. <laughs> no shortage. Of, no shortage. Stupid. Uh, so, I mean, when you kind of get into that, that's really good because they, they went, what was good is AMV kind of went back and pushed against the brief a little bit mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to challenge it a little bit. It, to, and not, not that the brief was bad or anything, but kind of going, we think actually there's a slightly better way after reading the research that this could be done, which sure. was great. So... Uh, there's a link to the video, so oh, those yeah, yeah. that are interested, I, I, I would urge you to watch it. It's it's great. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, and even though it's twenty thirty years, years old yeah, or something, yeah. it's still really good, oh, and the man. work is still really yeah. strong. What's really interesting, even though technology's changed. Well, I mean, and the, but the platform. I mean, the thing is, you can't go, you can't beat the good idea. So, and, and what's great about it is the idea, the idea is solid, and the idea is as good as nineteen ninety three as it is in, in twenty twenty. It's fantastic, but the, what is really, really amazing is when you watch the pitch and then you watch the ads the the ads from the pitch are the ads that actually went live literally word for word mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that and that's unheard of because your idea and yeah. that's the great thing about the one route approach is that what you then what you don't get is I, I, we know I, the smoke and mirrors around oh. the multiple routes don't we why is one route important to you? One route is important because that's where, you, that's where agencies are going to spend their time. So the 80-20. Yeah. yeah, that's where you're going to spend the time. It's going to be spent, eight, yeah, 80% of the time is going to be spent on route one, 20% is going to be spent over route two and three. Yeah, I think that's, there's a, you know, there are no myths. No. I think if you're asking for multiple routes, you're crazy. Yeah, and, and you're not getting choice. You're not getting choice. You're, get, you're getting bad creative. And it'll be fine. And you're getting bastardised route. Yeah, you're not, you've, and, and not, again, I've seen it in other agencies where basically you pull out the old idea drawn, you just change the logo. I've seen that happen. You, you so know. they did that. They went, and they made no apologies no. for that, did they? One, they said, here we go. This one. is it. This is all we are getting. Yep. And it's right. Yep. 
And then once you go in and do the one that's there, and also what was good about it is they focus on language. I love the focus on language. That's what we do. Though. That's what we do. I believe language is yeah. the fulcrum. Yes, as Mr. Ogilvy said, the advertising is the business of words, mm-hmm. and and it's absolutely right because that that me and it's, that's one of the interesting things that has become more and more required over in the, the world last we live years. in. Now. Yeah, it's all it's all content. It's all yeah. that, it's all the written word is stronger arguably than than it was 30 years ago mm. arguably so you know i'm a big believer fire your agency if they come in with more than one route and fire agency if they come in starting to show you pictures and there's a there's a whole lot of reasons for that i've, I've been in pitches where you show the visual and without understanding the language in that you've already lost somebody who goes i don't like that blue and you've ruined totally derailed the entire pitch words and something you see Chris is that words humanize everything the, the campaign that you're doing Brand, so everything yeah. that is built upon that so they deliver the emotion yeah yeah and it, and you know when you've got and again what's amazing about the pitch is that you, you've got the emotion in the words and with Bob Hoskin who was the guy they always wanted to have in the campaign and he's just tremendous he but is, especially is. when you think in the early 90s it's a very the, he's not being he's not playing true to t- he's not being the hard man of the you know he's, he's playing being, a, he's being the soft man yeah he's being he? quite yeah. soft so you, it's good I mean it's good to talk and you know phone your mum and don't just ask her how she's doing ask her about her week because that's all about building up the time on the the consumption yeah and you can see it it all fits together it's all really well and you know know, i mean we don't really pitch for work because it's pretty ineffective it's not a beauty parade and everything else and i think you know some of the problem with pitching with work is that it's expected that you're going to bring in the three routes and i think when we start with a client the principles of what amv have done we we absolutely endorse oh man totally carry it it's the idea it's language it's one route it's digging deep. It's yeah. understanding the the, the economic yeah. the yeah. economic context of what you're trying to achieve. It's then kind of making sure that there's good thinking behind it, and then finally adding a bit of creative flair at the end of it to make sure it all comes together and is humanised and 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 delivers that, you, that at the end of it you can report on. Done this the wrong way around. So that's your done this way wrong way around. Your advice. Oh, from on to clients about how to get the best out of their yeah their yeah yeah it's kind of and and sometimes it's a bit scary because the one route approach is kind of scary for some clients because they kind of go but what if I don't like it and what go, if the well, chairman doesn't like this yeah one? so you can pick <laughs> and we've had bits and pieces of that before you know like well they'd like to see something else we go, well we'll have to go back to the drawing board and well, you know we've done that but so no no it, good. it was a good I think it's back to the digi day thing I think. If you can help us, you'll get better work. Beautiful sure. clients, and that's the thing. And that, that was, was that. good. Are we? Oh, that's us. That's us. I don't know if everyone's asleep or. Well, not. I don't. I don't really care because I. Well, I do care. Of course, I care. You got to care about your customers. That's the real number one. But no, no, that that was it. That was the first one we'll do. We'll have a wee play and we'll see, and uh, you know, so we'll just kind of do, do that. But no, but uh, we'd like to just thank you very much, and then you know, that's uh, we've. You have oh, no idea how long it took us to pick this music, and it's the cheesiest. Let's play. Let's listen to it. But. All right. Okay. Yeah, that's this is what we play when we go on on planes to, to America. It's very Alan Wicker. Do you know what I mean? That's what I like about it. Very good. You can ask your dad who Alan Wicker was. Okay, okay let's do it. Thank Kill you it. very much. All right, man. <laughs>